Welcome to Dark Corners with David Allen Voiles. Dark Corners is brought to you by Gestalt Media, an independent publishing company dedicated to serving independent artists. Dark Corners is a horror podcast and may not be suitable for all listeners. Therefore, discretion is advised. Season 2 consists of episodes written and narrated by David Allen Voiles based on a story suggested by the Halloween-themed musical work Witchworks, created by dark ambient musician Mombi Yulman. The 13th episode concludes the season in October of 2020. Chapter 3, Jars of Spiders Here's to the fearless ghost hunter, Daniel said, offering his wine glass and a toast across the table. Laura smiled and touched her glass to his. And to our first official date. Daniel frowned. This is our first date? That didn't seem right, considering we spent the first night we met together. Hey now, that's how a girl's reputation gets ruined. Or made. They both laughed. I think we can both safely say there was nothing romantic about that first night, Laura said. Agreed. I desperately needed to review what happened in the factory with someone. What a stroke of luck that that someone is also a psychologist. I'm so glad you were there, or I'd still be questioning my sanity. Hey, I was just as shaken up as you were. And so relieved that you offered your house as a place to recover. I mean, the sounds of machinery with nothing at all like that in the ruins? And the baby crying? Where'd that come from? Don't forget that laughter, Daniel said. That wasn't the first time I'd heard it that night either. Yeah. Tell me more about that business you said you saw in the woods, Laura said. She set her wine glass down rested her elbows on the table, and cradled her chin on her clasped hands as she looked intently across the table at Daniel. Have you started the clock on this session, Doc? I'm not sure I can afford you. Daniel took a sip of his wine as he looked over his glass at her. Laura reached across the table to take hold of his free hand where it lay on the table. Hey, I don't consider you a client. I know it's only been two weeks, but I think we've both made it pretty clear that we feel... Well, something special for each other. And I witnessed enough to know that you're not making that stuff up, consciously or otherwise. There was definitely something supernatural going on that night. My background in the social sciences doesn't mean I can't accept that there are things beyond our immediate understanding. I just wanted to see if the things you saw and experienced in the woods tie into what we both heard in the factory. Daniel nodded. I know. I was just kidding. Laura looked at him with a raised eyebrow. Well, mostly, he continued. I mean, I have been processing a lot since my father died. Would you like to talk about that? Daniel raised his glass to take another sip of wine and realized his glass was empty. He set it down with a sheepish smile and then took a deep breath. Being back home has been weird. My father and I were never what you would call close, I guess. I was much closer to my mother, but I was only eight when she died. That must have been really tough, Laura said. 
Yeah, it was. She was a really sweet woman. And Pop was not exactly the warmest human being. You can ask Deidre about that. So Deidre wasn't close to your father either? No. She always felt like he ignored her. That he preferred me since I was the boy. And it was true that he spent more time with me, but I would have rathered that he didn't. Why was that? He was always pushing me. Correcting me. Nothing was ever good enough for him. And yet he was the one that basically lost the farm. He lost it? Laura asked. Well, in a sense. He had to portion off large parts of it and rent that land to other farmers who basically knew more about how to run a farm. He was so stubborn, he wouldn't even consider just hiring men to work with him who could have advised him. He was really big on the idea that this was the Thompson farm and that nobody else could be trusted. Except you. Yeah, except me. Daniel raised his empty glass to his lips again without thinking and then shook his head when he realized his mistake. You want some coffee? Dessert, maybe? Coffee would be nice. Daniel motioned to the waitress who filled their coffee cups, and when she had stepped away from their table, he continued. Pop just pushed me so hard all the time that I resented the hell out of it. I resented the farm, him, how I thought he had treated my mother, Deidre, everything. I just wanted to get away from it all as soon as I could. So going away to college was an escape. Definitely. It took until my sophomore year before he realized I wasn't following the career path he had picked for me. When I declared my major and it wasn't the double agriculture and business degree he wanted for me. Daniel sipped his coffee. He was furious. But here's the craziest thing. I just found out from reviewing his banking records that he didn't pay for any of my schooling. I thought you told me you went to school on an academic scholarship, Laura said. I did, but that didn't cover my living expenses. My dorm fees, meals, and an allowance came from payments that I just learned Harold O'Bannon sent my father. Harold O'Bannon? The owner of the toy factory? Laura asked. One and the same. But why would he do that? What was the connection between him and your father? Jack Thompson, my grandfather, my father's father, worked for O'Bannon. He was sort of like the foreman, the main manager, from what I was told. From what you were told? You never knew him? No, he died before I was born. Died in the fire that burned the factory down the same year that my father was born. I guess O'Bannon felt bad about Jack's death and wanted to take care of the family. When my father was a teenager, he let my father work as a groundskeeper on his personal property, the O'Bannon Mansion and the grounds there. And get this, he paid for my dad to go to college. But he also paid some sort of pension to Jack's widow, my grandmother Esther. She's still alive, but she's in a nursing home and barely knows her own name. Alzheimer's? Laura asked. I guess. But then she was crazy as a loon even when I was a kid. So there's a history of mental illness in your family. Hey now, I thought you said I wasn't a client. You're not, you're not, Laura said, protesting with her hands up in a gesture of apology, and, and you're right. That's not really relevant to our discussion right now. 
Laura smiled. Sorry, professional hazard. Forgive me? She reached across the table again, and Daniel took her hand. Well, okay. Just this once. His smile showed he was teasing. Do you have any other family history that might prove relevant? There's been a lot of tragedy. What about your mother's people? Don't know anything about them, Daniel said. My mother was an orphan, raised by a couple named Davis who owned and ran my family's farm. The Thompson farm? Yep. It was because of my mother that we have the farm. She inherited it after the Davises were both killed in a car accident. My God, more violent deaths. Daniel nodded and Laura continued. So what about the Davises? They were more or less grandparents too, right? Daniel shook his head. Not at all. Talk about your cold fish. I guess that's why my mother was so eager to marry my dad. And by eager, I don't mean she married young. She probably would have if she could, but they kept a really tight rein on her. No dating, never allowed to go to parties, and definitely not to go to college. Sounds like they were really conservative. Religious? Not really. Not that I knew of. They were just super strict with their one adopted daughter. Which always struck me as weird that they let her marry Pop so fast. So fast? Yeah. He had just finished college. Got the degree in ag that he wanted me to have. Should have gotten one in business, apparently. They dated for like a month and wham. They were married. So why do you think the Davises allowed that? I suppose he was someone they were familiar with. My mom said that besides the groundskeeping work he did at the O'Bannon Estates, that he ran deliveries for the feed and seed store. Worked for them on weekends and holidays all through college. She said they always seemed to like him, or at least they didn't talk bad about him. So when he came to court her, they allowed it. To court her? Wouldn't this have been like the late 70s or so? 1980 to be exact. Yeah, it was weird. They could sit on the porch or sometimes take a short walk on the grounds, my mom said. And then the Davises were killed. Daniel nodded. Less than a year after my parents were married. About the same time, my mother got pregnant with Deidre. They lived with Esther, my grandmother, in her little cottage on the estate, which must have been weird, although my mother said Esther was very sweet to her. So at that point, Pop just took over the farm. He had some men working for him in those days, but he never liked it. Why not? Said he couldn't trust them. He thought they stole from him, and he didn't like how they, Daniel made air quotes with his fingers, rummaged through the factory ruins. What was his problem with that? Who knows? My dad was an odd bird. So how do you and Deidre get along? Well, you know, since Pop's funeral, it's like we're better now than we ever were. She always resented me before, but I think she understands now that I don't want to cheat her out of anything, that I never wanted the farm in the first place. That is one possible silver lining to the death of a family member, I suppose, Laura said, bringing the survivors together. Yeah. Daniel took the last swig of his coffee and made a face. Nothing like cold coffee. What would I have to do to entice you to come back to the farm for a nightcap? It wouldn't take much, Laura said with a grin. But I have to leave before long. 
I do have an appointment in the morning, and it's at least a 30-minute drive into Wilmington, so you have to be good. No promises, Doc. Dan. Daniel looked around his darkened bedroom in confusion. What had awakened him? Dan! Daniel sat up. Shadows of a banister on the hallway wall indicated that a light was on downstairs. Thought I'd turn everything off after Laura left, he thought. Dan, if you don't get your lazy butt down here in five seconds, I'm taking my belt to you. Daniel threw off the covers and walked out into the hall and paused at the rail to look downstairs and listen. Something was moving around down there. He stepped lightly down the stairs to keep them from creaking and moved toward another light which came from an open door in the kitchen that led to the basement. The sound of glass clinking was unmistakable. Daniel moved down those stairs just as slowly and stared in awe as he got to the bottom where he saw his father setting a cardboard box full of jars on the workbench. About time, he said, frowning at Daniel. Get up on that stepladder and put these jars up as I hand them to you. Too confused to do anything other than obey, Daniel stood on the second step of the small ladder and took the two jars of green beans his father handed him and placed them on the top shelf, one of three that ran half the length of the root cellar. No, not there, his father scolded. Put them with the corn. How many times I have to tell you? Daniel did as his father instructed, placing several jars of beans beside the corn while still feeling lost as to how this could be happening. Put the sauce on the top row, his father said while handing him two more jars. Daniel stared at the deep red sauce filled with tomatoes, peppers, and an assortment of spices in amazement. All of a sudden, he could actually taste the spaghetti his mother had made so many times when he was little. Quit admiring it, boy. Just put it on the shelf. Daniel's father shook his head while continuing to mutter to himself. Boy's like a bad apple. You work hard, plowing, planting, pruning, do everything that's asked of you. You still get nothing but a bad apple. A stinking, rotten, bad apple. As Daniel placed the sauce on the top shelf, one of the jars slipped from his grasp. It exploded when it hit the concrete floor and splattered its contents in a stain that covered his father's work boots and the bottoms of his pants. Amidst the chunks of vegetables, there appeared to be fleshy objects as well. He saw a tiny finger that appeared to be severed at the knuckle, and something else that might have been a part of a little ear that was stuck on the cuff of his father's pants. He looked back at the other jar in his hand and saw a small eye floating in the sauce, which blinked slowly back at him as he stared. He screamed and dropped the jar onto the workbench and jumped off the stepladder. Instead of yelling at him, his father laughed. Only now it wasn't his father who stood before him, but someone else. Someone he knew only from photographs. The face thrown back in raucous laughter had a pencil-thin mustache, and the dark hair was combed straight back and pasted down closely to his scalp. His grandfather, Jack Thompson. Want a little snack, boy? he asked. He held a jar of beans out toward Daniel with both hands and unscrewed the lid. But instead of green beans, 
The jar now held dozens of shiny, squirming black bodies with thin, twitching, hairy legs. Spiders poured out of the jar and over Jack's hand where they dropped to the floor and made their way toward Daniel's feet. <laughs> what do you think of that, you bad apple? Daniel backed away until he felt the cold cellar wall against his back. More movement caught his eye and he saw that now all the jars on the shelves and in the box his father had placed on the workbench were teeming with spiders. Hundreds, thousands of spiders poured out of the jars, covering the wall and the workbench and then the floor, all making their way toward where Daniel cowered. He screamed again as the spiders climbed up his legs, over and under the cotton pants he slept in. The laughter continued, but now the face before him had changed again. Someone Daniel did not know, a man with a full beard and dark eyes. Are you indeed a bad apple, Daniel? The man said. But Daniel couldn't focus because the spiders were swarming on his arms, his neck, his face. Daniel's phone buzzed on his nightstand. Morning light shone through the curtains, and as he pulled the cell to see who was calling, he noted that it was nearly eight o'clock and that he had a text from Laura. Still panting hard from the dream, he pushed himself up to rest his back against the headboard and tapped the screen to see the whole message. Really sorry I had to leave. Such a great evening. Maybe pick up where we left off later? Daniel's heart was still racing. He couldn't think straight enough to compose a response and set the phone back on the nightstand. On the stand, at the base of the lamp, sat an apple. How'd that get there? He picked it up to examine it closer and flinched as a sharp pain shot across his index finger, causing him to drop the apple onto the bed. Damn it! I'm bleeding. He picked the apple up again carefully. What the hell? As he turned it over slowly, he saw, protruding from several places, the unmistakable sharp edges of strategically placed razor blades. That concludes this episode of Dark Corners with David Allen Boyles. Music for Dark Corners was written and performed by Mombi Yulman and can be purchased at mombiyulman.bandcamp.com. For my latest projects, you can always find information at my official website, davidallenboyles.com. And I invite all of you to join our Dark Corners Facebook group where you can find background information on posted stories, previews of upcoming stories, and all kinds of other dark content. Hope we meet again soon in The Dark Corners. <laughs> <laughs>